Father, we're thankful that you are a good God. You care about your people. We know there are people here today that uh, need a message from you. And this is your word, Lord. Pray that you give me the words to say that wouldn't be from eloquence, but from power by your spirit that we would be changed today, that we would be comforted, we would have encouragement, and that uh, we would hate sin, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, so I ask from power on high that you would attend to your word and make it fruitful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. No prayer, no power. There was a pastor named Charles Simeon. He endured great hardship in his powerful 40, uh, 54 years in his pastorate in Cambridge. He had a friend named T. Hausman who stayed with him a few months, and he tells us something of this man's devotion. He said, never did I see such consistency and reality of devotion, such warmth of piety, such zeal and love, Invariably, he arose every morning, though it was the winter season at four o'clock, and after lighting his fire, he devoted the first hours of the day to private prayer and the devotional study of the scriptures. Here was the secret of his great grace and spiritual strength, deriving instruction from such a source and seeking it with such diligence, he was comforted in all his trials and prepared for every duty. The power of prayer should not be underestimated. James chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 declares this. It says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. What a powerful prayer. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God most definitely listens to prayer. He answers prayer. He, he moves in response to prayer. Jesus taught about the possibilities of prayer. He said, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. After he exhorted believers in Ephesus to put on the full armor of God, Paul, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 18, says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Prayer is what animates the spiritual armor. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he shows us that prayer is a spiritual weapon and is powerful. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, when I talk about the power of prayer, I'm not talking about some mystical power. I'm not talking about prayer as a power in itself. No, prayer puts you in touch with the one who is all-powerful, the God who has designed prayer 
as a means through which he will work. And he will work through your circumstances and through you to accomplish his will. Since prayer is so necessary, today I want to use Psalm 86 to simply inspire you to pray. And I believe that this is a message that God has intended for us to hear this day, and we need it as a church. So I want to give you three strong exhortations that if you follow will change your life. First, we're going to look at this psalm, Psalm 86, and we want to see that we should pray for only what God can give. Pray for what only God can give you. I hope you have a, a copy of God's Word, either turn or scroll to Psalm 86. Because this morning, I want you to mine this psalm with me. We want to go deep into the truths about prayer that God, by his Holy Spirit, is inspired for us to find. The first thing that I think we should pray for, that only God can give, is answered prayer. Only God can give you answers to your prayers. David prays in verse 1, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. In verse 6 he says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. One of the most important self-assessments and self-awareness that we need to have is that we are afflicted and needy. Many of you have different afflictions and needs today in fact all of you do we need to become aware of that every day you're going to have some kind of trouble man was born for trouble as the sparks fly upward job says don't worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own jesus says but in all of these circumstances what we need is to pray prayer involves drawing the Lord's attention to our afflictions and our needs when we pray about these trials and we pray that way uh, these are called supplications by David here in prayer what we're wanting to do is get the ear of God David here says incline your ear O Lord and give ear O Lord how beautiful it is to think that you can have the ear of God. I remember one time when I was in the Air Force, I was in a room where we were receiving a briefing from a general. And none of us would have dared speak in the middle of that briefing. But suddenly, the, the door cracks off to the right, and there is a woman standing there and a little girl in a frilly dress. She walks right in. She walks up to the general. He bows down and turns his ear to her. She whispers in his ear. She skips out. And the general says, when my daughter has something to say, I listen to her. Well, brothers and sisters, you are children of God. And he loves you greater than any general could ever. You have his ear. 
with you, God wants to hear from you. He designed prayer so that you would speak to him. 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God never shuts you out. He never says, I'm too busy. He always says, call to me. The Lord told Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. The problem is, is that we're often blind to how needy and afflicted we really are. So one thing we need to pray is that we would see ourselves as needy. That we would be aware that we have afflictions and trials and troubles that only God can attend to. But the thing I love here is that the psalmist asks God to answer him. Because I have a hearing aid, you might not have known that. Um, if I don't have men, and even sometimes when I do, <laughs> I can't fully hear what somebody says to me. And so my wife will be asking me something, and I'll turn around, and then I see that she's been talking to me. <laughs> and I'll say, what? But you know, even though I may not answer when I'm asked a question like that, God will always answer. Isn't that amazing? He always hears us. So expect that when you pray, God will answer. And that's exciting, isn't it? God's always going to answer. And we should pray and remember what we prayed and look for answers and remember those answers and be excited to see that there is a God. He does care about me. He hears my voice when I pray and he answers my prayers. Now, he doesn't always answer in the way you might expect, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Another thing that only God can give, only God can preserve your life. Verse 2, he, he prays, preserve me, O, preserve my soul. And the word soul can be translated life. For I am a godly man. You, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. And down in verse 16, he says, and save the son of your handmaid. Apparently, David's mother was a godly woman. But David asked God to save or preserve him, which in the context refers to him delivering him specifically from his enemies. He had enemies all the time, being the king of Israel, and sometimes even the Israelites and various factions were against him. But if you are going to live another day, then you need God to preserve your life. Only he can do that. Only he can protect you. Only he can heal you. If you have cancer or COVID-19 or anything else that's life-threatening, for David, it was people, but God wants you to pray to him. He is sovereign over the days of our life. Before there was one, he knew every single one of them. Now, the Christian can have the perspective where he's comfortable in both worlds. You know, God, if you'll preserve me from this particular illness or this particular threat, then 
that means fruitful labor for me. That's what Paul says. But if you're to take me, then that's far better, he says in Philippians 1, 23 through 24, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart, depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Now, I want you to take a little detour with me for a minute. Notice that the kind of person who prays here, David describes himself as godly. Verse 2. Now, most of us might be reluctant to call ourselves godly persons because it seems to conjure up the idea that we think of ourselves as having arrived or that we are righteous or, or that we are perfect. But godliness is not perfection. It's a direction. It's a, it's a life aimed at walking with God like Enoch did. It's a, it's a life devoted to him and devoted to pleasing him and godliness, I believe, shows itself in three ways. First, a godly person fears God. The godly person is characterized by a veneration, a reverence for, and an awe for God. And I, I just love the idea that Paul says, uh, it is he who work, wills and works in you. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that, that's amazing when we really think about who God is and that he dwells in us and that he is working to change us into his glory and into conformity to Christ. So we should have a fear for God and a healthy dread of his discipline, by the way. Second, he loves God. Somebody who is godly fears God and loves God. They're, they're gripped by the love of God to the, the extents to which God has gone to save us. That God would become a man, that he would live his life on this earth perfectly fulfilling the law in our place and that he would uh, be tortured and brutally treated, betrayed and, and wrongfully convicted and put on a cross and suffer and bleed and die in our place. That then, then to gain a victory that he would be buried and that he would rise again on the third day and that he would send to the right hand of the Father on high and serve as our great high priest to, to whom we can go and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And then he continues to be committed to us to, to shape us and to mold us and to make us into conformity with his son. It's, it's amazing when we think of the love of Christ for us, the love of God, the love of the Holy Spirit. And all of this reflection upon him and his gospel and what he's doing in our lives causes us to aim ourselves at loving him. It's that direction. We also see that it's someone who desires God. We love him. We fear him. But we desire him. I love to see this in many of the Psalms. In Psalm 42, it vividly expresses what this longing looks like. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
This person wants to be with God. David also expresses this intense desire for God in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Godliness is Godwardness. It's an attitude that produces action. The fear of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the desire for the Lord produces this obedience to God. But at the very least, if all that's true of you, a godly person prays. This is how this expresses itself. Back in Psalm 86, verse 2, our passage, David also describes himself as a servant. A godly person is someone who is in submission to God, who awaits God, attends God, obeys God, serves God. And David also expresses in verse 2 that he trusts God. He trusts God. That's what you do when you're praying. You, you give people word, your word, you give people uh, your desires, you give people at work something to do if they're trustworthy. But God is way more trustworthy than any person. Jerry Bridges wrote a, a great book called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It's, it's a vigorous act of the soul by which we, we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and, and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. Only God can answer prayer. And only God can preserve your life. And only God can give you grace. Verse 3. David appeals to God and he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. Verse 16, Turn to me and be gracious to me. The idea of graciousness means to, to show favor, to show kindness, to be compassionate to somebody. And what makes God's grace so spectacular is that he does this towards those who deserve the exact opposite. But when we pray, we ask God not to just be gracious in general to us, but that he would be gracious to us in our specific situation and circumstance. When you pray, appeal to God's graciousness to help you overcome some life-dominating sin. When you pray, appeal to God's graciousness to deliver your friend from those suicidal thoughts God please be gracious to me and turn back my wayward child Lord I need you to make up for the loss I need you Lord to fill those voids be gracious to me don't you need graciousness don't you need grace? As we pray, 
We ask that the Lord will be gracious and that he will also affect our emotions, our affections. We need God to work in us to help us to feel the right way. We need him to make us glad in the midst of our trials. In verse 4, he says, make glad the soul of your servant. When you're tired and discouraged and downcast and depressed and anxious or fearing or oppressed you need the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation don't you need gladness don't you need a happy heart David has in mind that happiness flows from good news and what he has in mind about good news is answer prayer isn't it amazing? Isn't it exciting? Isn't it gladdening to your heart when God answers a prayer? You specifically ask for something and God grants it. It just, wow. It, sometimes it surprises you, doesn't it? Sometimes it surprises you in the way that God answered and, and if you really want gladness, if you really want joy, pray in such a way that when it happens that you know that only God could have done that. <laughs> That's exciting. I love how Moses prayed when he was going to have to lead this disobedient people out of Egypt. He's on Mount Sinai. He's going to have to lead them to the promised land. Receiving the law and he says, show me your glory. That's what we need to do when we pray for answers. We need to pray in this specific case, God, show me your glory. Paul says that we should pray like this in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you pray that way? Expecting God to answer in such a way that only he can get the credit and that he'll show his glory and that he'll show you that he can think way beyond what you even imagined. And that gives him glory. And he loves you, and he wants to do that in your life. Now, as you're going through trials or life circumstances, whatever they might be, realize that God is designed to teach you something through it. Something about him, something about his ways, something that needs to change about you as he conforms you to the image of Christ. So, so look for God to teach you. David knows that only God can teach you his ways. In verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O God. In any trial, a teachable heart is essential. So we should ask God, God, what, what do you want me to learn from this? What are you trying to show me about yourself? Your love your goodness, 
What, what is it that I should learn about you? What, what is it that, uh, is, how this, should this affect my relationships and, and my life and my, my obedience? What are you doing, Lord? He doesn't reveal it all. He's mysterious, but, but he can teach you through this. Most of us uh, instinctively pray for a quick deliverance, but, but David prays that he will learn God's ways and that he'll walk in obedience. You see, instead of just getting out of the trial, we should be praying for what we can get out of the trial. As you go through your struggle, you also need to know that only God can give you strength. Only God can give you the strength to persevere. David prays in verse 16, O grant your strength to your servant. When we pray for strength, we, we sometimes received in, increased capacities to accomplish things. Sometimes we receive uh, the ability to escape a certain circumstance, but, but the strength that God supplies is sometimes the strength to trust him. The strength to cling to his promises. The, the strength to wait upon the Lord. The greatest strength is when we begin to rely more on God than ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life indeed we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead that's where we need to get let our trials drive us outside of ourselves and our resources to God and his power to raise the dead. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is at your disposal when you pray. Ultimately, what we need might just be described by the four letters, help. Only God can give you help. We see this in verse 17. David prays, show me a sign for good that, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O oh Lord, have helped me and comforted me. One of God's names is helper. That's the place to start in any trial is to, to recognize that you need help. And only God can give you the help you need. Just cry out. Just, that is a great prayer to learn. Help me. <laughs> Just at the end of your resources, help me. You're about to make a difficult phone call about that situation you've been avoiding. Pray, help me. You need to talk to somebody about destructive behavior in their life and need to pray, help me to talk to this person. You, you have to reprimand an employee that works for you or 
you've got to have the strength to hear the doctor's news that he's about to give you. Or you're about to preach a sermon. It's good to pray, help me. Asa, king of Judah, he gives us a beautiful example of when uh, Sarah, the king of Ethiopia, came up against him. And he had one million men and 300 chariots in the valley of Zephathah. And 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11 says this. Asa cried to the Lord his God. O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God. <laughs> you can see that picture, you know. One million warriors ready for battle coming at you. 300 chariots ready to charge. And he just prays, help me, O God, help us. And the scriptures go on to tell us, that God routed the Ethiopians that day. When we're weak, pray, help me, God. Another thing that only God can give you is comfort. We need comfort in our trials. Back in verse 17, David prayed this way. He said, you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Whatever difficulty you're going through, you need comfort. There are so many, so many heartbreaking circumstances that we face in this fallen world where we need to be comforted. When we experience the, the death of a loved one, we need to be comforted. When we are suffering an illness, we need to be comforted. When you lose a job or have a financial crisis or a broken relationship or wayward children, you need the comfort that only God can give. But guess what? He's called the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. If you need comfort, he's got all of it. <laughs> and what is beautiful, though, is that the Holy Spirit is also called the, com the Comforter, and he lives within us. And one of the amazing things is that God often comforts through people. The people in the body of Christ coming together to comfort one another. It's beautiful to see this. Uh, they, they give uh, hugs and holding us and handshakes sometimes. Uh, just clasping of hands and being present. Trying to have empathy and sympathy and Paul says this about himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Now, that's no big surprise if God's the God of all comfort. He, he says, God who comforts the downcast comforted us. But how did he comfort them? He says, by the coming of Titus. God puts people in your lives 
that he wants you to be the vehicle of comfort for them and he wants them to be the vehicle of comfort for you. Who are you being a Titus to? And who is being a Titus for you? Look to the people of God for comfort as well. I love it when people, when God brings people into my life to comfort me. So up to this point, we've seen David praying for only what God can give. And we should pray knowing that God only can give these things. But we're also taught in this psalm to pray the words, pray with words to remember what God is like. If you're going to pray to this God for answer prayer and all of these things that only God can give, then you want to know what he's like. You want, you want to be able to trust him and know his character. So we see many things, many words that we're to use in our prayers. The first is in verse 5. For you, Lord, are good. You are good. That's what we hear when people have an answer to prayer. Lots of times, don't we? They say, God is good. God is good. That's what he prays. He prays, for, for you, Lord, are good. Uh, I love Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That tiny little prayer, the Lord is good. It means at least two things. God is and his attribute is good. But also, our experience of him can be good. Psalm 34, 8 said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's something you can experience, the goodness of God in the way he treats you. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 9, Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, he'll give him a stone? Or what if he asks for a fish? He will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? We should pray, knowing God is good. But God is also forgiving. Look at verse 5. It goes on. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. C.H. Spurgeon said, To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. Have you been forgiven by God? If you really grasp the level of your evil, wretched wicked heart and the penalty that you deserve before a holy righteous judge that it's condemnation being cast into the lake of fire for eternity separated from the favorable presence of God and then you learn that Christ died for you on the cross and by his grace through his blood is the forgiveness of sins. And you have faith in God, faith in Christ. You're trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins. What a feeling to know 
you've been forgiven for all your sins past and present and future. You're, you, you want in your relationship with God, God wants you to come to him, 1 John 1, 9, and he wants you to kind of appropriate experientially the forgiveness of your sins. He says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Daily pray and appropriate the forgiveness that you have in Christ. God not only is good and forgiving, but he is loving. If you want to pray to somebody, you want somebody that is loving, don't you? I mean, you wouldn't want to approach somebody who you don't, you're not convinced loves you. But in chapter 86, back in our passages, verse 5, 13, and 15, say this. He's abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. Verse 13, for your loving kindness towards me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And verse 15 mentions that he's abundant in loving kindness. He's abundant in it. He has storehouses of loving kindness Uh, The terms of of, uh, measurement there, abundant and great. He wants us to understand that it's it's unlimited, his love. I found this quote. It said, the heart of God is like a volcano that burns with hot love that blasts the top off the mountain and flows year after year with the lava of love and faithfulness. He's always going to be there loving you, giving to you, comforting you, being gracious to you. And God is unique. Verse 8 and verse 10, verse 8 says, There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. And verse 10, you alone are God. In David's day and pretty much all throughout Israel's history, they were surrounded by nations that had these so-called gods, these, these idols and, and ideas of gods behind these idols. Um, but none of them were real. And anything that would, was supernaturally or spiritually real was demonic. And Paul said to idolaters in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, There is none other God but one. For though there be those that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. He uniquely possesses all of these attributes, all the character we have attributed to him from the psalm, and he uniquely possesses the ability to give you all the things that we should pray for. We see in verse 10 that God is great. He's good, he's loving, he's great. He says in verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. The greatness of God is utterly relevant for everything in our lives if we believe in the greatness of God we believe that he can overcome any sin in our lives we believe that he can accomplish anything that is necessary 
We believe that he can overcome any obstacle. That he can help with any problem. Because he is great. He spoke the world into existence. He upholds everything by the power of his might. When there's a problem, remember those simple prayers, those simple truths. God is good and God is great. And God's merciful. Look at verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a merciful God. A merciful God. Mercy is this attribute of showing compassion even when it's in your purview or in your power to inflict punishment. It's kind of the idea of uh, throwing yourself at the mercy of the court when you deserve the penalty. You're guilty. The judge has it in his power to give you the maximum sentence. But in mercy, he could reduce your sentence or perhaps even let you go free. That's what God has done for us. He's merciful. And every day, and I tell you, sometimes I don't pray because I, I feel like I don't, I, I don't believe all the truths that I'm preaching I feel like I don't deserve it. I feel like I've, I've sinned, I've messed up so much that God doesn't want to hear from me, that, he, that, that I'm hindered in my prayers, that he doesn't care. But those are lies. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let the world lie to you. Don't let demons with their fiery darts lie to you. Don't believe the lies in your own flesh and your sinful nature. God is loving, he's merciful, he's forgiving. He wants you to come to him. And God is slow to anger, verse 15. He, he just says simply that he's slow to anger. Uh, and we could go on and on about who God is. And we should learn, we should pray like verse 15. It says he's slow to anger, verse 15 continues. It says he's abundant in loving kindness and truth. So we should pray for what only God can give. We should pray with words to remember what this God who can give you these things is like so that you have the confidence that he will give you these things. But finally, I want you to pray in ways that honor God's design. His design for prayer. We didn't think this up. God thought of prayer. He he graciously revealed himself to us. And now he has opened the line of communication through Christ, our advocate. Let's look at the ways that he wants us to pray. He wants us to pray continually. Verse 3, David says, For I cry all day to you. For to you I cry all day. His his continual prayers were because of his awareness of his continual great need. I like that phrase, I cry all day long. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. We're to never give up. We're to have a, a constant awareness of a relationship with God where at any moment, any time, any place we can, we can talk to him. You, you have a relationship with God. 
And through our trials, we should keep again and again and again praying. The idea of a, I cry out, I cry all day long. There are times when that's all we can do. I remember times in my life when, when sickness and circumstances and persecution and people who didn't like me and, and, and losing a job and, and all these things kind of just came together. Relationship issues, all these things kind of hit me at one time. And I found myself just pouring out my tears on my bed all day and all night. Sometimes we're going to be there, but, but God, he wants us to continually just pour out our hearts to him. And when we pray, we should pray expectantly, verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. I love, I love that verse. William Carey's watchword was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. You can't attempt great things for God unless you expect that he's going to show his power. He's going to answer. You should, you should, you should be convinced that when you call to God, he's going to answer. Pray expectantly. I, I have to confess that many times I pray, but I don't expect much. There was a day a couple of weeks ago where, where I, I prayed on a Wednesday that uh, I would have some uh, communication with, uh, with three people. They, they were all going to be difficult conversations or, and, and, and kind of convers- the uh, communication had been kind of blocked. And, uh, and the next day, all three of those people contacted me. <laughs> wow. I didn't expect that. And we should pray looking for it. When you pray, look for God to answer specifically. And again, as we saw before, in a way that only he can get the glory. And pray specifically in verse 14. We see him telling exactly what's going on with him. He says, oh God, arrogant men have risen up against me and a band of violent men have sought my life and they have not set you before them. When we pray, we should not just pray vague prayers. You know, God help the sick. God save people. God help our church to be unified. You know, I mean, you can pray some of that. But, but pray specifics. Tell God what it is that's bothering you or that you're dealing with or you're working through. And then pray expectantly that he will answer regarding your specific situation. Because when you see him answering specific prayer in such a way that only he can get the glory and you know that only he could have done it, it's encouraging. Wow. It reminds you that your faith is real, that God is real. And it honors him. 
David also teaches us to pray worshipfully, that, that we adore him for who he is. That Verse 9, it's like David enters into worship here. Verse 9, he says, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, they shall glorify your name. That's what it's all about. The Great Commission. That's what we're part of. That's what God is doing. He is, he is saving a people for his own possession. We should definitely also pray for people to be saved. You know, God, God is determined. He is going to do this. But we want to be part of it. We should pray for people. We should share the gospel. But it's amazing to see that the, the Great Commission will not fail. We can have confidence. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the world as a testimony to the nations. Then the end will come. And that's amazing. God will not let things end until every single one of his elect is saved. He will call his people to himself. His sheep, he knows. And they will hear his voice. That's a good thing to remind ourselves of. When we see the world and the way it's going, and you see all the sinfulness, you, you see things seeming to be headed in a horrible direction. Remember that no matter what happens, God's church is going to be saved. In uh, Psalm 20, 22, 27 through 28, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. There's no nation, there's no people group that is going to be unreached and unresponsive. Somebody from everyone is going to be saved. I love that great scene in heaven that shows the elders worshiping with the song of triumph to, to Christ. Revelation 5, 9 says, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's going to happen. Jesus will not be denied the reward of his suffering. And you are part of something that cannot fail. So pray determinatively. Be determined would be a better way to say it, simply. Verse 10, he says, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. If we're living our lives praying, trusting, we should, and we believe that he is the one that can answer, that he will do it, that he'll show his greatness and his glory, then we should have a resolve to walk in his truth, to have a heart that is, is united with his commandments and his will and that we would walk in his ways. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, it says, We always pray for you that our God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, 
so that the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will be glorified in you according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You should have resolves for good works. So we've seen that we should confess our neediness. We should look to and praise him who's sufficient to fulfill all of our needs. We should resolve to walk in his ways and we should finally pray thankfully. Verse 12 says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. (laughs) That only comes from doing the rest of it. As you see who God is, what he's like as you depend upon him for what only he can give when you go through afflictions and you see answers to prayer you're going to be like David just say I I will give thanks and that's where he wants us he wants us experiencing him and what he is doing in our lives depending upon him And when we are giving thanks, that glorifies him. That's where he wants us. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, God says in his word, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever in Romans chapter 1 is the unbelievers did not give thanks. They don't know who to give thanks to. But thanksgiving is essential. The word pray is used 362 times in the Bible. It must be something that God wants us to do. J. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China and he was founder of the China Inland Mission. And he said this, The power of prayer has never been tried to its full capacity. Anybody want to say you have? I haven't. He went on, he said, If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call to me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let us take Taylor's Challenge to test the power of prayer to the max. Let's begin now. Lord God, I pray that you have changed us through this walk through your Psalm 86. Thank you for the opportunity to read and study such a blessed piece of truth. I pray that it would impact our prayers, Lord, that we would be people who do pray, that we would recognize ourselves as needy. We would see that our afflictions can only be accomplished or overcome and walked through with you. We need help, Lord. There's many people under the sound of my voice right now and even those watching on the live stream that that need help. Help us, Lord. 
Strengthen us. Be gracious to us. Be merciful. Let us see you act, Lord. Have each person recognize their needs and pour out their hearts. Cry out on their bed to you until they see you answer, Lord. And answers, answer in ways that we will just be shocked, we'll be surprised, that we'll be delighted, that we will just be undone. Sometimes be convicted for our lack of faith and trust, Lord, but you don't condemn us for that, Lord. You know we're weak. Pick us up, Lord. Give us strength. There are many people here today that I know there's some that are suffering in various ways through illness and loss of loved ones and crises financially and many other things, Lord. Help them. Comfort them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I pray the Lord will bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. So go and be a prayer warrior. Amen.